Ninja. Hi everyone and welcome to Geography Ninja and um, this time I wanted to have a look at a book that I've just read. This is one of the books I've, I've read in, in lockdown and um, you know like maybe some of you I've got a bit of a pile of, of books in my uh, bookcase that I want to you know I would like to read. This one um, I, I bought it a few months ago actually in, in a a charity shop in the UK, in an Oxfam bookshop. Um, and it's a book I've been meaning to read for some time. It's Thames Sacred River by Peter Aykroyd. And um, I have read some previous Peter Aykroyd books, particularly the one on London, London the Biography. Um, now, this is not a new book, I've got to say. This is, it was published back in 2007. So it's obviously taken me, you know, 13 years to get around to actually reading it. But um, great book for a geographer. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why that is. Ooh, that's quite interesting. Now, I'm not quite sure what it was about this book that um, appealed to me when I saw it. I think it might have been in the window of, of the uh, the Oxfam shop. Um, it is actually quite visually striking. Uh, I think it's a first edition, actually. I only paid £2.49 for it, so it was a bit of a bargain, I've got to say. Um, but Peter Ackroyd is one of the... He's quite a you know, relatively heavyweight writer, very, very... Um, literate uh in in fact and the inside cover it says it's it's uh, written in magisterial prose but uh i don't think it was that that really <laughs> swung it for me i think it's you know i'm always on the lookout for anything that's got the the most tenuous link to anything geographical and i thought well that's pretty good isn't it the story of a river what do i actually know about the the thames um <clears throat> i i did actually fall into the thames once when i was on a family boating holiday when I was about 13 or 14 uh but you know I'm still I'm still here I'm still still living and breathing for the, for the time being so um yeah I don't I don't actually live by the Thames but I've, I've been I've been over it many times on the train I've sort of walked along the banks of the Thames I you know really enjoy whenever I'm in London uh the Thames is like um it is like a magnet um, and the last time I was in London, I actually walked across the, um, I think it's the Millennium Footbridge that goes from the uh, where the Tate Modern is across the river towards St Paul's Cathedral. And that was that was uh, really great, actually, going across there. The book itself, though, is it covers all aspects. So it's not just geography. It's got a bit of everything. It's it's um, I think it's described somewhere as liquid history. Um and well, I'm just reading. I've been looking at the inside, uh, the the flap of the inside cover. Actually, it says it covers history from prehistoric times to present, flora and fauna, paintings and photographs inspired by the Thames, geology, smells, colour, literature, laws and landscapes. It's magic and myths. It's architecture, trade, and weather. So it really is an extraordinary piece of work. Very very comprehensive in in what it covers. Um, and the the book actually ends with a whole section. I'm not sure exactly how many pages, thirty or so pages, which is giving a a description of all of the towns and villages along the length 
of the Thames and there's information on how the towns got their names, what the relationship to the river is and, and so on. Um, so an absolute uh, treasure trove of information for anyone interested in, you know, just getting really in depth into one particular geographical feature. A Stygian pool reeking with ineffable and unbearable horror. Now, Peter Ackroyd loves his quotes, and that particular quote was by Benjamin Disraeli in the middle of the 19th century, describing the Thames in London as a really badly polluted river. Um, and this is, you know, coming in the middle of the sort of maximum industrialization, population growth, rural to urban migration, just growth of the city that was going on at that time. So this book is, is one of those books that is it's absolutely packed with, with facts and information, which I really, really enjoy. But it's also, it's extremely thought-provoking, very, very uh, literate in terms of its, its references. Um, I, you know, it starts off giving you lots of facts, like it's 215 miles long, it's navigable for 191 of those uh, miles. You know, it's the longest river in, in England, it's it's much shorter than other uh, globally important rivers like the the Amazon and the Mississippi. Much much shorter, but you know it sort of makes the point where well, no other river has really caught the imagination, the attention of the world in the same way that the Thames does. Um, so yeah, lots of factual information. You've got some great maps there at the beginning as well, so showing you wh where the Thames, the source of the Thames is, in. Um, near Sirencester in Gloucestershire um, and how you know the upper part of the Thames runs through Oxfordshire past Oxford um, through uh, Berkshire uh, past towns like Reading uh, Windsor and so on uh, through Surrey into Greater London you know we all know the we're familiar with the idea of the River Thames going past Westminster going um, you know underneath London Bridge, Tower Bridge, past Greenwich, um, and then the the lower section of the River Thames, getting into the Thames Estuary, going past places like Tilbury um, and Gravesend, uh, South End on Sea, until it reaches the North Sea, you know, the mouth of the Thames. So you've got a few really great maps in there showing you uh, the the river and all of its tributaries, you know, really, really important tributaries. And as Peter Ackroyd actually uh, points out where the tributaries join the main part of the River Thames, this seems to have some deep cultural significance, you know, so going back millennia, so into prehistory, um, suggesting that those that... Uh, confluence of uh, the tributary with the main river channel was seen as really important um, sites for you know for, for, for maybe ritual purposes or for building you know some sort of uh, stone monument and so on so uh, fascinating section of maps there loads of places that uh, got incredibly imaginative names and how uh, some of those names have come about.
So Peter Aykroyd comes out with this this um, <clears throat> section at the end of the book, about 40 pages or so, which is an alternative topography, the River Thames source to see. And you've got the all of these places um, along the Thames, uh, towns, villages, areas. And there's a whole um, etymology, you know, what the, the origin of the place name might be. And just give you a couple of examples. Um, one of them, very famous place on the Thames, Windsor, uh, originally uh, Windle Shorer, the Old English. What's the meaning of that? Maybe Winding Shore. Uh, very close to Windsor, you've got Eton, uh, you know, home of the f- famous public school. And um, what's the original place then? Well, Eoton is thought to be uh, one possible origin, and Eot is a small island in the river. A ton is just an Anglo-Saxon term for settlement, so Eoton, Eton. Uh, you've got Runnymede, so really famous in English history for the signing of the Magna Carta in 1215. What, what's the name Runnymede? Where does that come from? Um, so there's speculation whether it may maybe comes from Rune Mead, a place of the runes, you know, where you, you do divination, fortune telling and, and so on. Um, the Sax, maybe the Saxon word uh, Runieg, meaning a regular meeting or regular meeting place. Mead, probably meaning meadow, um, but then also speculation, maybe the, the, the runny has derived from the uh, word Rhine, which means river or ditch. However, as Peter Ackroyd says, you know, this is all conjecture. Uh, we live in a landscape for which we have lost the original meanings. But it's fascinating trying to think what, what might these names once have have represented um we've got other ones such as fulham you know so going more into uh great greater london um what does that mean place of fowls or birds maybe some sort of enclosure enclosure of a fuller a fowl home maybe a muddy settlement um some interesting little snippets factoids of information as well so for example fulham being the site of the first gas works in britain who'd have thought that and then you've got things about the Isle of Dogs. So right in the heart of uh, present-day London Docklands and some speculation there about the the name. You know, it's a pretty odd name, isn't it, Isle of Dogs? I've, I've always thought so. Was it first um, the Isle of Hogs? So it's thought that back in the 11th century, uh, the Bishop of London kept 500 hogs in this location. So was it the Isle of Hogs, which has subsequently become the Isle of Dogs? Um, there are various legends relating to um, dogs of different varieties, so phantom dogs wailing in the night. Um, you've got the story of a murder um, that happened, the person that was murdered, their dog swam across the river several times until he was noticed and then helped the the murder be um you know the the site of the murder be found and so on so well who 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 knows what it what it might have have meant originally um other information there about there was a, a primeval forest apparently um around the the present day isle of dogs beneath the water uh, about 8 feet or so beneath the water so I would say this is this is a great book for to read in lockdown. There's just, there's so much in it, and um, it's it's just it's a non-threatening book, but it's it's got some great stuff in it. So 
Um, just give you a few examples. There's one chapter near the beginning which is called The River as Metaphor, and this is really getting into what we could describe as cultural geography. In other words, you know, sort of bringing meaning to different locations, what, what's the sense of place um, relating to someone like the R River Thames. And, um, well, what do I mean by that? Uh, there's, there's an example of William Wordsworth the poet describing the river at low tide, suggesting that the, it's like the mighty heart of London is now lying still. So it's like equating the river to the idea of human circulation. You know, the water in the river is like blood running through the veins. Um, you've got other things there as well, like how the, the personality of the river changes along its course. So, you know, when it's in its, its upper reaches near the source, it's in its infancy, it's, it's more innocent, it's very clear. Um, as it gets towards the city, um, it becomes what is described as being dark and foul and defiled by greed and speculation. Wow, how about that? And then you've got the, the, the Thames as a metaphor for, for England. I'm not sure where these ideas come from, but the idea that it's modest, it's moderate, it's calm, resourceful. Does that sound like England? I'm not sure really, but anyway. Um, and then you've got this this thought that it almost creates this idealised image of English life with thatched cottages, village greens and so on. But apart from that, there's so many other meanings you can bring to the river. The Thames It's seen as a frontier, it's seen as a highway, um, it's an attack route for invading uh, forces, it's... Um, it's a playground, it's a sewer, it's a source of water, it's a source of power. So all of these different meanings um, alongside it. Geography Ninja. Now, what about the origin then of the, the, the word Thames? It's quite a, a strange uh, word when you start to think about it. Um, well, uh, according to Peter Ackroyd, this is one of England's most ancient names alongside someone like Kent, um, sort of pre-Celtic names, probably. Um, it suggests it may have the same origin as the Tamar. This is the river that, that forms the boundary in southwest England between Cornwall and Devon. Um, and the suggestion is it comes from the, the a, a Celtic root word, which is Tam, T-A-N, meaning smooth, or wide spreading, and you've also got the um, the, the the suffix of isa or essa, i s a or e s a, uh, which again is a Celtic root word meaning uh, running water. And the examples of this are you know in in river names that we have uh, in in England, the X, so the the River X that runs through Exeter. That's Exmouth in um, Devon. Uh, and the Ouse. Uh, the Ouse is an incredibly common river name um, across England. There's, there's a, a River Ouse in East Sussex that runs through Lewis. I know that there's a River Ouse in northern England as well. Um, so, you know, what does that mean? Well, the, the Peter Ackroyd suggests the provisional translation is as a running ooze. Um, but the you know the the word Thames could possibly predate this. Uh, there's a, a tributary of the Ganges 
in India whose Sanskrit name is Tamasa, uh, which means dark. So, you know, there are there are there's some speculation there that the, the word Thames is possibly pre-Celtic. It wasn't renamed, interestingly, by the Romans or the Saxons um, who, in, you know, invaded and, and took control um, for, for, for many centuries. It wasn't renamed. It kept the original name, which is, is interesting in its own right. Um, now, one of my favourite chapters on here is about the, the bridges, particularly London Bridge. And I've got, you know, I, I used to work in London. I used to, to commute in um, from the suburbs and I used to get off at London Bridge Station, walk across London Bridge into the city of London. And I was often, I was often taken with that sort of sense of history walking across, even though that, you know, the current London Bridge only dates back to the early 1970s. But um, as children, lots of um, English kids grow up with the, the nursery rhyme, London Bridge is falling down. And there's a backstory to that, not surprisingly, that Peter Ackroyd has, has uh, remodelled here. And it's basically, uh, it dates back to 1014, when um, part of England was under, uh, under Danish rule. Um, and in 1014, Olaf Haraldsson um, sailed his Norwegian fleet up the Thames to help the English fight back against the Danish invaders. Now, the Danes were actually in a defensive position on London Bridge. Now, this, this is the Saxon London Bridge, um, which, well, it was first recorded in 730 AD, and it was described as a long and low wooden bridge uh, built of thick, rough-hewn timber planks placed upon piles with um, movable platforms to allow uh, boats to, to move, move beyond it. Now, in 1014, Olaf Haraldsson demolished that existing London bridge and defeated the Danish. He did this by attaching ropes around the piles, really thick ropes, attached to the, the wooden piles um, and then attached the other end of the rope to his ships and used the tidal flow of the river to exert enough force to unloose those piles from the, the river bed. So London Bridge is falling down. Well, it was actually pulled down, according to this story, uh, by ships. Now, it was rebuilt several times in wood um, over the next few hundred years until uh, the stone bridge was uh, completed in 1209 by, uh, apparently by Peter the Bridgemaster, otherwise known as Peter of Colchurch. Now that bridge, that London bridge, lasted all the way through the medieval period, right up until, you know, the, the early industrial um, era of 1834. That was when the, the, the old medieval London Bridge was finally taken down. The medieval London Bridge apparently had 20 arches uh, spanning the, the width of the river, which made it more likely that you would get um, material, pollution, waste and so on accumulating uh, behind those, those stone columns. Um, now, you've also got the story of what London Bridge was like in the medieval era. So in the 13th and 14th century, 
you had shops and dwellings on London Bridge. In fact, it's recorded that there were 62 shops. This is in the 13th century. 62 shops on the east side, 69 on the west side, uh, west side as well as innumerable dwellings on there. Um, buildings made of wood on top of this, this medieval stone, stone bridge. So by the, the time you get to the 18th century, incredible congestion um, and eventually the decision taken to rebuild London Bridge, which was completed in 1830. Now, the, the other part of the story is that this um, 1830 London Bridge didn't actually last very long, didn't last anywhere near as long as the medieval bridge, because by 1960, it was it was um, found to be sinking into the uh, the riverbed of the Thames. So it was actually sold. London Bridge was sold to an American company called McCulloch Properties, um, apparently for the sum of two million four hundred and sixty thousand US dollars. Uh, it was then dismantled and rebuilt in Lake Havasu City in Arizona. Now, probably my favourite chapter in the book is what is the one called Filthy River. Um, and this is it's mostly about pollution, but it's a it's a it's the like the darker side of the Thames, particularly as it runs through London. Um, and it suggests that, you know, for a lot of its history, the Thames has actually been a public sewer, uh, as well as being a source of drinking water. So that's, that's slightly worrying, isn't it? Um, now here's, here's a quote for you. Dung and other filth had accumulated in diverse places upon the banks of the river, with fumes and other abominable stenches arising therefrom. Now that was 1357, that was Edward III uh, describing the, uh, the river pollution. Um, and it's not surprising because medieval city was growing. You had public lavatories on London Bridge. Everyone's waste was getting flung into the the river. Uh, by the seventeenth century, here's here's the list of what was what was going into the river: dead hogs, dogs, cats, and well flayed carrion horses, as well as stable dung, beasts' guts, and garbage. Uh, mm, lovely. Um, in Wapping, now this is an area just east of the uh, original city of London, east of the, the, the Tower of London, which marked part of the eastern boundary of the city. This is Wapping. Uh, now it's beyond the, the city of London's jurisdiction. It was described as a squalid and malodorous place with brothels, low taverns, stinking alleys, vagrants and impoverished sailors. In fact, it was a lawless area. So as well as the, the sort of pollution, you've got these... Now, to me, this sounds a little bit like Obi-Wan Kenobi in um, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope on approaching Moss Eisley Spaceport. Um, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? <laughs> If I would drink water, I must swallow that which comes from the River Thames, impregnated with all the filth of London and Westminster. Human excrement is the least offensive part of the concrete, which is composed of all the drugs, minerals and poisons used in mechanics and manufacture, enriched with the putrefying carcasses of beasts and men, 
and mixed with all the scourings of all the wash tubs, kennels and common sewers within the bills of mortality. And another quote there, uh, this time by <clears throat> the author Tobias Smollett, and that dates from 1771. So it's not painting a great picture, is it, of the, the River Thames through London during the sort of industrialised phase. Now, just to finish off with then, um, the, the, the book, the, the last main chapter of the book really is, I think it's called Down River, and this is about the, the, the Thames estuary, so the River Thames as it approaches the, the North Sea. So Peter Ackroyd describes this uh, Thames estuary area, which is actually quite large, and it, it's, um, it has marshes, you know, the estuarial marshes there. Uh, Ackroyd describes it as having a sense of strangeness and melancholy, um, very sparsely populated, until pretty recently and some descriptions of how cut off um, and isolated some of the, uh, the the human populations and settlements were there up until you know almost the, uh, the, the mid 20th century. He also describes it now this final sort of concept here geographical concept as a, a liminal area and I think this is a really interesting idea, actually. Liminal area, liminal space, really could be defined as a threshold between, um, well, I think I've seen it somewhere, threshold between two realities. I think the, the source of the word comes from um, a, a Latin word meaning threshold. The, the idea that it's not, not quite one thing or the other, it's sort of between, it's like a transition between one thing and something else. So I guess, you know, the Thames estuary could say, well, it's a, it's a liminal space, it's a transition between, it's a threshold between the land and the sea. Um, but I think the way Ackroyd describes it, it's almost, it's almost got a, um, an, an unreal sort of um, aspect to it. Maybe it's, it's a threshold between reality and dream, or it's a, you know, threshold between what's normal and what's a little bit strange, a little bit odd. So um, anyway, I, well, let's finish on that one. Let's let's finish off. It, it is a great book. It really is. Um, it does meander. There's that river um, metaphor. It does. It meanders all over the place. It covers so many different things. I personally, I I love anything that deals with geography, but includes like the history, you've got the background, the historical background. And it delves into culture as well. And Peter Ackroyd, clearly very well read, very knowledgeable, with lots of literature and art references there. Um, but I think great reading for, for a, a geographer to really get deep in to the meaning that we attach to uh, a place like the, the River Thames. Anyway, that's enough from me. I'll finish off there. Um, I will speak to you again very soon. Geography Ninja. Signing off. Goodbye.